This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by YouGallery. Discover the world's most talented emerging artists on YouGallery.com. As the leading curated online gallery, YouGallery.com features a diverse collection of original artworks hand-selected by expert curators. With free shipping and free returns, delight in the joys of original art from the comfort of your home. Browse the collection at YouGallery.com. That's the letter U, Gallery.com. This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is also sponsored by ArtBase. You're tracking a blue-chip art collection, so why are you using cheap art collection database software? ArtBase is the leading luxury collection management software platform in the world. Totally secure, full-featured, customizable, and easy to use on computers, iPads, iPhones. ArtBase comes with plenty of training and support to get you going and keep you efficient. Unlike most collection management systems, with ArtBase only you have access to your information on your computers. So visit ArtBase.com today to find out more. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Kelly Crow, art market reporter for the Wall Street Journal, to dissect last week's major auctions in New York. The headline of the week is the Basquiat that sold at Sotheby's for $110.5 million. One of the most interesting aspects of the sale is the buyer of the painting, billionaire Yusaku Maizawa. While in most cases a buyer at this level doesn't come forward and reveal themselves as the winning bidder, he did so with an Instagram post elaborating on his purchase. What can you tell us about him as a collector, and is he a different breed of collector compared to others who are capable of purchasing artworks at this very top end of the market? Truly endearing is that he um, very typical of a new rising hotshot billionaire collector. I think we forget that um, sort of names like Steve Cohen and even Steve Wynn, um, David Geffen. I mean, some of this sort of the major collectors that we hold sort of on sacred terms these days were sort of young, brash, eager uh, trophy hunters. You know, um, nowadays the trophy hunter looks a little different. Um, and certainly maybe some of the fortunes are made in different ways. In this case, you know, he's making his money uh, online, selling uh, fashion, uh, selling clothes to uh, different kinds of brands of clothes to girls in Japan. But, you know what I mean? The money is still the same. And the the impulse to announce yourself on the global stage by buying um, major knockout paintings uh, is sort of ever thus. So in that sense, this 41-year-old guy from Japan Meizawa is um, is right in line with uh, with how generations of collectors have uh, have announced themselves before. I know the Basquiat sale is it's just one transaction, but what does it mean for the ascension of his market? Has momentum in his market been brewing for the past few years, making a price like this inevitable, or are people still stunned at the price it achieved? You know, Basquiat is a fascinating character because when I started covering this market, I guess a dozen odd years ago, record was around $5 million. So it was still light years away from Warhol, Lichtenstein, Rauschenberg, sort of the other sort of pop mainstays and post-pop mainstays of, um, you know, 21st century American art. Um, But you have really seen in the last 10 years or so, a lot of really interesting dealers and collectors, mostly baby boomers, sort of basically move on the stock, if you will, right? I mean, you're seeing guys sort of buy Basquiat privately, and suddenly they were buying and selling them for upwards of 10 million, and then 15 million, and then 20 million. Um, And there was a work a few years ago called Dust Heads that sold for, you know, 
several several times more than what we thought, right? And then suddenly we thought, oh gosh, maybe Basquiat is a forty million dollar artist. Who knew? Uh, Maisal's entrance into the Basquiat market, though, is fascinating because he set the previous record for Basquiat a year ago by paying $57 million for Basquiat. So that was a record price a year ago. That's where we were. Um, And so I think it's both interesting and a little sort of teetering, right, that this same guy has now come back a year later and paid double that, more than double that, or just about, for another work. Does that mean that Basquiat's now a $100 million plus artist? Technically, yes. Um, You know, does he outsell Warhol? Yes. But in terms of the volume of the trade and the volumes of works that have sold for more than, let's say, you know, $20, $30 million, you're talking about, you know, a number of pictures you could count on one hand and maybe on two fingers, you know. So it will take a long time, I think, or at least several more seasons to sort of bolster that record price. It's sort of like waving up there like a flag, but the flagpole is pretty wobbly. So it will take some time to sort of firm that up. And looking at the auctions as a whole, what were some of the major takeaways on the sales from market insiders you spoke with during the week on the actual results of the sales? I mean, on the whole, people were relatively chipper, um, in part because just last year was so lousy. You know, last year, whatever else anyone told you, the auctions themselves uh, were a little bit of a downer. Um, A few major pieces sold, but you just didn't see some depth of bidding and everything felt like, you know forced. Um, and this, these sales overall last year were down. So what is nice, though, is I feel like since February, March in London, I've started to sense a little bit of a turnaround. And so people, the supply was better in large part because of a state business. I mean, it's sort of um, morbidly good luck, right, for an auction house to get um, a really to land a major estate because this is fresh material. It's, um, you know, stuff that people haven't seen in a while and it gives you a chance to sort of ratchet up or test an artist market in a, in a big way. Um, and both houses sort of seem to benefit from that this time around, maybe Christie's a little bit more, but, um, I mean, Sotheby's that, that big Basquiat was an estate, you know, that was a piece of estate material from the Spiegel family um, by descent. So, you know, they both sort of landed some plums in part because of the states and collectors like, you know, they want to shop for stuff they haven't seen in a while. So there's some fluke luck in terms of, how that benefited this week. But I also think you'll start to see as the auction house has kind of settled down all of their staff shuffling around, there's been so much, you know, back and forth musical chairs between the major houses this year. And um, that's sort of upended a lot of pipelines in terms of business getting and business funneling that's starting to sort of um, settle down now. And so everyone's kind of in place and in their new jobs and I guess, jazz to, to plunge in, I think you'll start seeing better supply enter the pipeline, and that will be good for collectors who want to sell and buy, and then we'll just start to see better, you know, better results. So I, I think this certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> the auction market this this season didn't hurt. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that a little bit more. And interestingly, in your recap of the week in the Wall Street Journal, you wrote, ahead of, this, ahead of these sales, the house has made financial deals to ensure that dozens of their priciest pieces sold no matter what, an unsettling move that suggests sellers didn't want to shoulder their own risk. So given the success of these sales and the major auctions always act as a barometer for the health of the market, do you feel like the success of the week now might shift market sentiment a bit for these buyers as well as uh, prospective sellers? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And the theater is, 
convince everyone that the art market is bonkers, that it's great, you know, um, and sometimes that that plot line works and sometimes it doesn't. In order to ensure that that plot line succeeded this time around, um, sellers who were nervous to sell into this season um, got guarantees that sure, assured them that their piece would sell no matter what, either to the auction house or to um, a third party backer, usually an investor or a private dealer who has promised to bid X amount, you know, in order to get it over the line. Um, you saw that, in, I mean, at least 40% of both of the major evening houses, uh, but both of collectively, if you look at all the evening sale offerings, right, it was at least 40% across both houses and sometimes more. So that's a good chunk of pre-sold art that we all came to watch get sold, you know, again. <laughs> um, and what I think would be an interesting barometer is how reliant the houses are on those kinds of deals come the fall. Eventually, collectors realize that they're giving away a good bit of their profits. Um, you know, they're paying a pretty steep price for that sort of uh, insurance. Um, and eventually, when the market feels really solid to frothy, right, they start getting greedy and think, no, I'm just going to put it up and I'm not going to have a guarantee. I'm pretty confident it will sell no matter what myself. Um, and I want the full, you know, I, I don't want to give any more of the, any more of the commission away. Um, I think that that will be something to watch for in terms of confidence um, as we head into the fall. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and recapping and sharing your thoughts on last week's major New York sales. And of course, if our listeners want to follow your writing, they can do that at, at the Wall Street Journal and also follow you on Twitter. You're a great follow, always tweeting about the art market. What's your handle on Twitter? Thanks, man. It's pretty easy. It's just Kelly Crow, K-E-L-L-Y-C-R-O-W, just like the bird, W-S-J. So Kelly Crow, W-S-J on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. Thanks again, Kelly. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to the sponsor of this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast, You Gallery. Discover the world's most talented emerging artists on YouGallery.com. As the leading curated online gallery, YouGallery.com features a diverse collection of original artworks hand-selected by their expert curators. With free shipping and free returns, delight in the joys of original art from the comfort of your home. Browse the collection at ugallery.com. That's the letter U, gallery.com. This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast was brought to you by Artbase. You're tracking a blue chip art collection, so why are you using cheap art collection database software? Artbase is the leading luxury collection management software platform in the world. Totally secure, full-featured, customizable, and easy to use on computers, iPads, and iPhones. Unlike most collection management systems, with Artbase, only you have access to your information on your computers. So visit artbase.com today to find out more.